Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Flight podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. It's the run up to Christmas and so we've got another installment of our book club this week on the show where we're going to be discussing Ted Hughes and the influence of Ireland and Irish fly fishing on his poetry with Mark Wormold, a Cambridge fellow and angler who has written a superb book called The Catch, Fishing for Ted Hughes. Plus we have a signed copy of Mark's book to give away so stay tuned for that. First though, Tom, I think this is an episode that listeners will actually come away from it saying, I never knew that. Yo, definitely, definitely, Dara. Um, I mean, this is something that I wasn't too aware of beforehand. I, I have a book, um, David Street, Fishing in Wild Places, where the foreword was written by Ted Hughes. So that's how I knew about him. When we said we'd do this, I started uh, looking up about, about him more. And it's absolutely fascinating, the, the whole story behind him. And I, yeah, I definitely say I didn't know much about him, but I know when I was chatting to you beforehand, you were very much aware. A lot, a lot of people know of Ted Hughes. They'd know the name and always oh, a poet and Sylvia Platt and Mark Wormold gets into all that. So I kind of won't delve too much into that side of it. But reading Mark's book, what really caught me was Ireland, the influence of Ireland and fishing in Ireland and fly fishing in Ireland. This is why I think it's so pertinent to this episode that I had heard, had heard interviews of Mark talking about Ted Hughes and fishing before, but this one I was mad keen to do it was because, you know, he, he starts visiting Ireland in, I think he says the late fifties, early sixties, and he becomes friends with Seamus Heaney. He becomes friends with this artist, Barry Cook, um, who was uh, based in Ireland from the UK originally based, comes over to Ireland fanatical uh, angler. Do you remember the story Mark talks about where he had his um his teeth? What was that? He? <laughs> his teeth sharpened at an angle to save him going from the clippers. Yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's commitment to the cause. Yeah, that is the first. I've never heard that. Just so just so people are, <laughs> are wondering what we're saying. He had his teeth, teeth sharp, his incisors sharpened at an angle so that he could use them for cutting the fishing line so he didn't have to get a nippers. Will we put on a link to various dentists that are doing that now? <laughs> <laughs> it's Sorry. interesting because I'd actually heard, uh, I remember hearing, you know, you hear different anglers because it's a small world. I'd heard of Barry Cook, but mm. I'd heard him as a guy who fishes who's also an artist. Yes. Whereas in his, <laughs> probably in his, in his own world, which was fairly big in, in the arts, he'd have been known as, uh, you know, the artist, he does a bit of fishing. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, everything's yeah, yeah. in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm always looking for, I, I, I hope what people get out of these kind of book club episodes is the sense of maybe people go, oh, I must check that out. I didn't realize that. Or, you know, oh, that's really interesting. And for me, you know, you know, my, my, I love books and writing and, and mm. fly fishing. About it. And you're the same. You've, you're mm. mad into the kind of Irish stuff as well. Is that um, for this kind of writing, it was like, it was suddenly, it's like an introduction to it. I think people might go, didn't realize he actually wrote. And when you read his poetry, Ted Hughes, like for an angler, it's an absolutely like treasure trove of stuff to read. And I'd highly recommend it. It's uh, River is the name of the um, Ted Hughes's collection that was published in 1983, I think it was. Yeah. And as we talk with Mark about, there's, you know, there's poems about September salmon, dry fly, mayfly, you know, taking times of salmon. It's just <laughs> like if you're a fly angler and you decided to write poetry and you just do it in a yeah. very good way. like. And this is, um, this is it. And like, to be honest, I hadn't looked into his stuff much at all beforehand. But since doing this, I've looked at it. It's absolutely, it is. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, it really is. You know? yes. So, I, well, look, what I hope what this does is it opens a window maybe for people that go, you know, geez, I didn't know that. Um, and, you know, they might get a bit of interest in it. Um, and it's another... 
you know, we think we talk about fly riding, fly angling riding, you know, we talk about McGuane or we talk about, you know, any of the greats or gear or any of this kind of stuff. Um, but Ted Hughes doesn't come up as much. So maybe, might, you know, this will kind of highlight it maybe and that people will kind of get an interest in Hughes and, and his fishing riding as well. It's like what you said, if you create an awareness for people, you know, let them try out and, and, and find out and uh, see it for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And the great thing about Mark Wormold as well, he's an angler. And I think only a kind of an angler and an English lecturer could write a book like this. He's an yeah. absolute Ted Hughes. I mean, definitely, I mean, it's like, it's like, and we talk about it here. Uh, we talk about it when we're chatting to Mark. Uh, <laughs> you know, when the availability came up of uh, Ted Hughes' fishing diary, how he suddenly perked up yeah. and how within the, should we say that, literary circles it was looked as you know something that wasn't that crucial if you're looking into Ted Hughes but Mark had seen how important it was because Mark was an angler Mark yeah. is an angler yeah exactly and he was mm. able to to join the dots and um and the fascinating thing again bringing it back to Ireland is he actually and Mark says this is he basically Ted Hughes basically rediscovered his creativity his fire and um, that allowed him to be such a, a brilliant writer in that kind of part of his career by going to Ireland and by fishing yeah. just seemed to bring something alive in him. Wasn't that bit very interesting? Uh, Mark goes in about uh, how after he was fishing, the well went dry with him, you know, yeah. that he couldn't do, he couldn't do anything immediately after he'd been fishing. It was almost like he was flummoxed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, was, it drained yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. It drained him. Yeah. He, he couldn't mm. put it into words. And then eventually he was able to kind of put yeah. it into his journal. Like, but um, look, I, I, I hope people enjoy it. Like I, I I have to be careful. I'm really into this kind of you stuff. See, you're really into it. And like I've started looking into it. I, I've always said this. I remember I did a piece once on dry fly fishing. And my analogy was like, river fishing is poetry and lock fishing is prose. Oh, very. Right? And I'm big, big into lock fishing. However, I do dabble a bit in river fishing. And so since this, I had a look at a bit of that, uh, at a bit of Ted Hughes and stuff. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll read it more, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll turn an artist into you yet, Tom. So. Ah, jeez, you'll be dragging me kicking and screaming. <laughs> well, come here. I tell you what, look, before we hear from Mark, uh, we might do our competition, first competition we've had on Ireland on the Fly, um, and it's something we're definitely going to be doing more of in 2023. I have a lot of copies of my books to give away, <laughs> whether people want them or not. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and, a few and, boxes and, of them here. <laughs> And since then, I, I can only highly recommend it, and I'll say it to you here, because you had sent it to me before. I think it was one of the first podcasts we did, and I haven't read it, I have read it since. It's absolutely fantastic. And I'll say it here, just with Dara in front of me, uh, well worth a read. Really fantastic stuff. Oh, well, I, don't, I don't think we'll do a book club episode on it now. I think that might be a bit too incestuous, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> no, we'll do it. I'm going to bring you on as guest. <laughs> <laughs> and here's 20 copies to give away. <laughs> <laughs> and 40 copies for second place no but um let's do the competition um we have a signed copy of the catch uh to give away and all you have to do is tell us the name of one of ted hughes's poems email it to info at lastcastmedia.com so that's info at lastcastmedia.com l-a-s-t-c-a-s-t-m-e-d-i-a.com tell us the name of one of ted hughes poems Send the email to info at lastcastmedia.com and you could be in with a chance of winning a signed copy of The Catch. But let's hear from Mark Wormold now. And I first asked him to give us some background as to Ted Hughes's life and career. 
So Ted Hughes uh, was born in 1930 in Mythenroyd, West Yorkshire, um, met Sylvia Plath um, in Cambridge, where I'm speaking to you from now, um, shortly after he'd graduated from Pembroke College, where I'm a fellow. And that kind of has mattered to me. That's why I've written this book. Uh, they spent seven years together. Um, and in February 1963, Sylvia took her own life. She was a brilliant poet and wrote a very famous novel, too, called The Bell Jar, exploring her struggles with mental health, um, actually before she came to Cambridge. Uh, and essentially, the fact that she took her own life um, nine, uh, seven months after Ted had started a relationship with Asia Wevel, um, led has led to him being regarded as her husband, essentially. And that's the title of a book published about him in the States. Um, and he suffered greatly, as did their two children, Nick and Frida, uh, in the wake of her suicide. He subsequently edited the poems that she wrote in the months leading to her suicide, Ariel, a brilliant, difficult collection. Um, but essentially, and, and he then suffered the loss in 1969 of Asia Wevel, his partner, and their three-year-old daughter, Shura. And she took her own life and Shura's life following Sylvia's method. And, and so he has become known for his private life, actually, and, the, and those horrors. Um, and they haunted him. And in the last year of his life, 1998, he published a book called Birthday Letters, which having been silent for years, that was the story of and an answer to Sylvia. And, uh, and there are these, these letters dedicated to and written as if to Sylvia, addressed to Sylvia. But he, I think that emphasis um, completely overlooks the fact that he was one of the 20th century's greatest nature writers uh, and that he was a father to, to Nick and Frieda. And I got into this book when I discovered that um, he had written fishing diaries for the last 20 years of his life. And Ted started fishing when he was four, carried on until the summer in which he died, um, and so he was a lifelong fisherman, a compulsive salmon fisherman, introduced to fly fishing by Barry Cook in Ireland. And it was, as he said, fish, he told Barry's daughter, Anya, who I've got to know well, fishing was his way of breathing. It was his way of processing the natural world. So the book became an attempt to follow in his footsteps, to fish where he had fished, wherever possible, um, the right pools on the right rivers at the right time of day on the right day of the year, and then reading the poems, amazing poems that he wrote in the light of those experiences, having done what he did to a great fishing writer that he loved. Um, and so that's where the book came. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of reorient, kind of not to let him off any hook, you know, a kind of fishing yeah. cliche, but in terms of, because he is, you know, he was unfaithful to his wife. But he was not the only man in the 20th century who was unfaithful to his wife. Um, but actually just to, to kind of ground my book and wh wherever it took me, really, 
in the light of his experience as a fisherman? Uh, sorry, that's a long answer, but I hope that's okay. No, it's brilliant. And I think that'll give people a sense. And he was also made Poet Laureate in, England, yeah, he in was the UK, poet, yeah, 1984. Exactly. Like, we're not. He made an order of merit, admitted to the order of merit in October 1998. He, he basically started fishing, not as a fly fisherman, but then I think very few people start fly fishing at the age of four, using. Uh, a net made from the kitchen net curtains in Mythelmroyd in the Rochdale Canal. He ended up fishing every May with the Queen Mother um, at Burke Hall on the River Dee. Uh, and, but he kind of, he was, re- he was known, and I don't say this in the book, he was known to one of his closest fishing friends on the River Torridge in Devon, where he lived from, from 1961, as a great killer of fish. He would do anything to catch and contact fish. He subsequently became, because of his care for the fish and the rivers and the they swam in it and the horrifying kind of assault on wild salmonid stocks as a result of netting and pollution of those rivers, he became a great environmentalist and conservationist. Like a true angler as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, there's so much I want to tease out of this. I don't know. Sorry, I'll shut up. Sorry, I just <laughs> no, get carried no. away with all no. this. No, because no. this is brilliant. Like, um, and, and and again, we keep coming back to people and go, why, why the hell are they talking about Ted Hughes for this Arlo on the Fly podcast? Um. It struck me, and again, what I want to kind of put into context is Ted Hughes' standing reputation yeah. um, and how well-respected he was within oh. the world of literature. He was friends mm-hmm. with Seamus Heaney, Seamus Heaney, who went on to become a, a Nobel laureate as yeah. well. What struck me was that for somebody of such standing that he brought nature writing and nature mm-hmm. poetry, I think, to such a massive public space, but also such a respected space as well. And was the kind of highlight of that, would you say, uh, his collection of poems, uh, The River, River, which was published in 1983? It is for me, absolutely. I mean, he he published his first book, The Hawk in the Rain, in 1957, and was immediately interested having fished but also hunted as a, as a boy, first in uh, West Yorkshire, then in South Yorkshire. Um, he was completely compelled by animal life. And he got the fact that nature depends on predation. And he identified with the predators, but also the victims somehow. And he just saw the cycles of life and death in the animal world as absolutely central to life as we as humans lived it. And he said, you know, you could sublimate this. You could in watching football or playing, you know, or playing soccer or rugby or you there is a kind of disguised, developed, sublimated form of that predatory instinct, which he says is there in every single-celled organism up. And it's a passion. But fishing, he said, was the purest expression of that. I'm trying to get at why he was, like, for the time, what he was writing about. Was this like a shot out of the boat? It's not like poets have have written about nature and the wonder of nature down through the centuries, but in the 20th century, was this quite unique? It was, it was. Um, Poets, absolutely, there's a great tradition in nature writing, but there is an an, an expression of the wonder of nature or the way the natural world corresponds to some elements in ourselves. He, He, I think, came as close or closer than any 20th century poet to that idea of Tennyson's of nature red in tooth and claw. Um, but I think he went beyond Tennyson 
in uh, the sense of admiration for what fish actually in particular, but leopards and foxes um, for their for their relationship with with um, the the kind of huh I'm I'm struggling because the the fox or the leopard um, and fish needed their wits about them. They lived wholly in the moment. And for Ted, excitement was a whole body experience. And that there needed to be some danger in this, the sense that as hunter, you could also be hunted. So actually, Ted quite liked poaching because that element of trespass, of being caught, you know, um, that was as close as he could get to. And he, he, saw, he saw the idea of hunting and fishing hoping to stimulate, to interest something magical and mysterious below the surface, not just of water, but of yourself and, and contacting that ancient energy. He saw that was very close to the kind of the poetic, the fundamental poetic experience. And so there was an identity between fishing, hunting and writing of poems. And those did absolutely come together in my view, but also in the view of kind of leading poets and writers I trust, like kind of Simon Armitage, Poet Laureate Now, and Max Porter, great writer. Um, I think it, that reached its finest expression in River. And he took it took seven years writing River from 1976 to, to 83. And those were the years in which he started keeping fishing diaries, but also with his son, Nick, started coming to Ireland to fish, not just on the fly, um, but with their great friend, Barry Cook, the artist and environmentalist and fisherman. So just to give people an interest, and this is kind of how I came across Ted in terms of his um, poetry was um, uh, the river collection. I yeah. just for anglers listen to this um, in terms of kind of, if you go to the contents, just the poems, uh, the names of them will give, give you some interest. And if you're an angler, you can't but fail to be interested. The male, mayfly is frail, Milesian encounter on the Sligacon, night arrival of sea trout and eel, kingfisher, everything is on its way to the river, August evening, late night, be a dry fly purist, salmon taking times, go fishing the river, stealing trout on a May morning, September salmon, you could go on. This is a collection for it, fly anglers if ever there was. But it, 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 that's absolutely true. And it, it, and it stares fishermen in the face, the obviousness of that collection. Amazingly, when this was reviewed in the Times Literary Supplement in 1983, December 1983, Peter Redgrove, who had a friend of Ted's and a fine poet in his own right, kind of sung its praises, but never once mentioned fishing. <laughs> and actually, a lot of these poems are not about catching fish so but they would can be completely impossible without it and i just wanted to say one of the poems you mentioned go fishing speaks to a feature of ted's experience of fishing which he and i don't know whether it's true for you guys he claimed he'd never come across anyone who'd experienced this but so intense was his concentration on the life of the river and what lay beneath the surface but also flies coming off atmospheric conditions he lost himself so completely to that experience that he said for several hours after coming back from the river, when he'd been fishing alone, he lost the power of forming words. He couldn't speak. And so actually these 
diaries and then the poems he wrote from them were the way in the words came back. So, hi, Mark. Yeah, I'd hi. seen that, that you'd written that piece about him, how he, he lost he lost that after he came back from fishing. I, yeah. I think that's that's amazing. But are you saying that then he would revert back to his diaries and yeah. then... Yeah, so that's yeah. how he went and about it. He, he basically wrote to a guy called Carl Miller, who's a friend of his, and basically his, his, a, a book called Moortown, and he was also a farmer. He wrote these diary poems from farming, visceral engagement with, you know, the life of a, a, a ewe lambing or a cow calving and life and death on the farm. He basically said that fishing like farming is an absolutely non-verbal experience. And... He re- and basically, he asked Carl Miller in 1980 to collect an award that um, Moortown had been given because he was fishing in Alaska with Nick at that point, uh, his son. Um, and, and he also said, actually, I've started keeping diaries as a way of alternating between the complete nonverbal immersion in the life of the water and my own professional life of words. And it was that oscillation between fishing diaries and the fishing that really awoke me to the possibilities of me writing and trying to recover that somehow. You, you sort of came upon those, uh, I won't say by accident, but you weren't complete, you, you weren't well, aware of the diaries or they weren't like, no, basically, widely acknowledged. Ted Hughes was a student at Pembroke College where I'm a fellow. And though everyone knew he'd been a great poet and he was an honorary fellow, no one actually remembered where he lived in which room that he had when he was here. And I discovered that after having read some letters of his in Emory University in Atlanta. And in 2010, we were asked to host a conference on Ted's work because Emory had hosted the last one because they just had what they thought were all of his papers. By 2010, Ted's widow, Carol, had sold the remainder of his papers, including these fishing diaries, to the British Library. And this conference that we hosted in Pembroke had Jonathan Bate, who was engaged in writing a biography of Ted as our plenary lecturer. And he said the literary biographer faces a particular problem because there's too much material in the archive to know what to do with. But fortunately, he said, only some of it is of relevance to the literary biographer. Then he said, for instance, there are these fishing diaries by implication, not interesting at all. It's just a hobby. And because I'd always fished from the age of five, I just thought, well, hey, I'm going to have fun with this. And I went down and they reading them kind of changed my life. I was immediately hooked. How large were they? Were they like, was it? There are about a thousand pages in total. Wow. Uh, some many of the pages are kind of water stained, so clearly written either in the rain or by the water. Quite a number of them are in verse. So you saw. So there's a, there for and I, I, this is not in the book because I made it a principle that I wanted to fish in his footsteps wherever I could. And the majority of the poems in River are written in England, Scotland and Ireland. So that's what I've done. But a few are written from British Columbia and Alaska. And I haven't been able to afford the airfare, but you know, if someone's got prepared to offer me the trip, then yeah, I the will podcast in that, Mark. And in fact, <laughs> there is a, there is a pair of Ted's neoprene waders waiting for me on a ranch in uh, British Columbia. If when if I can get there, apparently, mind you, they'd be a bit old at this point, and I'm yeah, still. Can I just pick up on that, Mark? Um, I'm fascinated because what you're saying is so the kind of literary side of things, the academic side of things, saw Ted's fishing. As separate to Ted. People who knew him, there was a, a, an editor at the Times Literary Supplement said, 
quite early on this, everyone knew Ted liked fishing, but they just regarded it as a hobby. Right. Only non-anglers would think yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, well, but then there's someone else, a wonderful novelist who's become a really good friend, Graham Swift, who wrote a book called Waterland. Um, Fish well, he did. Head. He did the anthology with um, with David Perfumo, the yeah. Magic Rhythm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. And so, one of the great days of my life was uh, I went fishing with David and Graham. Oh, on the River Itchen, and they have signed for me my copy of the Magic Wheel, which is just kind of yeah, really amazing. Class. But, but but when Ted died in October 1998, Graham Swift was on a book tour in Iceland, which Ted and Nick Hughes visited in, in 1979, as it happened. And, and Graham wrote this essay called Fishing with Ted, saying, the man I knew on the River Torridge in Devon, uh, was a complete countryman. He was so immersed in the life of the water, but he said, I couldn't imagine, was a different man from the poet, the writer. He was just a man of the river. And I, and he, he, was, he was 100 miles away from that. And actually, because I had been looking at Ted's letters, ex- correspondence with Graham Swift, and therefore in the British Library and knew that, Graham Swift's address, I just wrote to him out of the blue and said, with respect, I disagree. I think actually the poet was the fisherman. And so Graham said, that's amazing. I'd really like to talk to you more about this. And so he's been, he spent two days in my room here in college, just talking not just about his deep love of Ted and everything, the inspirational qualities to the man, but also just sharing his own fishing memories with me, because there is something about fishing memories that go deeper and are more primal than most other memories. I think, I I guess you agree. Totally, totally. Can I ask you, um, Mark, I just want to bring it back to Ireland and focus oh, yeah, on yeah. Ireland, because um, yeah, cool. I think we've Sorry. given people a good background and a good grounding in terms of Ted and his influence and his standing. Yeah. He, he first visited, he stayed in Connemara with Sylvia Platt in the early 60s. Is that right? He did. But actually, he first visited with his uncle Walt in 1951. And that was when he first saw a salmon fly fisherman uh, on a river in County Limerick from a bridge. Uh but then uh, he was introduced by a guy called Jack Sweeney, who ran, he was Irish-American, worked at Harvard University and ran their Woodbury Poetry Room. And in 1957, 58, Ted and Sylvia were in the States and Jack Sweeney recorded their poems, recorded them reading. And it was the first kind of and made a record of them. Um, and he sent this record to Barry Cook, the artist who, British-born artist who had, um, on Jack Sweeney's recommendation, uh, gone to Ireland in 1954 and started living in incredibly primitive conditions on the Burren, basically sent there on the advice of uh, Jack Harris, the, uh, who wrote, you know, an Anglo's entomologist, um, uh, and uh, the Anglo's entomology, rather, because he turned up in his fishing tackle shop in Dublin on Parliament Street and said, where's the best fishing in Ireland? And so he said, come back in a bit. And he spread out this map and said, you need to go to the River Fergus. And so Barry drove across Ireland on his motorbike with a blanket and a fishing rod. And that was it. And started sleeping on a friend's floor. And then he found this primitive cottage. And basically, Ted 
was introduced to him in 1958 by Jack Sweeney. Jack said they thought they shared a passion for the natural world and violence, these two guys, and that's true. And uh, they corresponded. Barry met Ted and Sylvia when they came back from the States early in 1960. But then the last week that Ted and Sylvia spent together as husband and wife was in Connemara, and they went and visited Richard Murphy in Cleggan. And halfway through the week, Ted just disappeared and went down south to County Clare, or so the story was, to fish for salmon and trout with Barry Cook. Now, Asia Wevel's biographers and others thought that's just code for having a fling with Asia, gone fishing, yeah. But actually, there, a letter exists, and it's now in, in a collection of Barry's papers at Pembroke, amazingly, from Ted to Barry thanking him for the time they and and, and apologising for having broken one of his rods. And my guess is that's his first attempt to cut Leichhardt and he got it wrong. I was, I was actually looking up that. I, I, I spotted that bit about Barry Cook. And apparently, and this is a, an interesting crossover because I don't know how true it is, but it says that he brought him to the Mulcair River to fish. Yeah, yeah. That's now, true. It's interesting, as hopefully further down the line, you read Thomas McGuane's The Longest uh-huh. Silence, he fishes the Mulcair River. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I have read, and I've read The Longest Silence. I will go back to it. Thank go you. Go back Tom. and have a look. Uh, yeah, one of the local okay. guys in, I think it's the town he's in, is it Kilmallock, uh, brings him to the Mulcair River. Wow. So there's a bit of a crossover. Yeah, there. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How amazing. Yeah. So, that, so then they fish together. And that, that, and then when, after Sylvia's death, then Ted and Asia came back to Connemara in 1966 to live for a few months. Um, and it was, they arrived in February, um, stayed until May. And to start with, they lived at a place called Doonregan near Cashel on the southern coast of Connemara. And, and um, Ted had heard that Loch Fadder was home to a kind of Loch Ness monster equivalent, a plesiosaur. And he took the kids in a, in a gale uh, really early season to fish Loch Fadder. And the kids at that point were six and four, you know, the two older ones. And he took them there and, and caught a sea trap. But then they moved to Cleggan and he took them both to off fishing on Loch Ochrisberg. Yeah. Yeah. And, Loch and, and caught, and he said he wanted to get them to fish the kids to stir the dormant passion for the art. And the fact that he believed it was dormant within us all and, and Frida was interested but thought it was a bit cruel. Nick was very keen. And that started Nick fishing. And they caught trout there. Did you fish Ocris, by the way? Did you I, get to fish I, I did, but uh, it was on a day where I'd been out to High Island, which Richard Murphy had owned. Yeah. And in fact, taking Mulcairn, who owns it now, took me out. And I shared a boat with a guy from uh, Historic Ireland. Or one of, you know, because there's a kind of a, a Brian Borrow's well and various kind of beehive cells. Out on out on a monastery out on High Island. And he's he's a fisherman. He said it's not worth fishing Loch Ochrisberg because French and German anglers had kind of introduced roach to it. And then mm. roach and perch had basically eaten all the trout eggs, and then the trout have died out. But I had to go anyway, and I caught a roach on the fly. So <laughs> on was even. Can I ask you, um, Mark, again, the importance of Ireland? Because there's a couple of lines here just I took from your book where after Platt's death, um, the importance of fishing, he describes it as it means, fi- Ted said, it means finding a place and a way of life where this is possible. Yeah. 
and that taking the kids to Ireland, he says, where the life flows unselfconsciously in the people and with lots of freedom and also yeah. fishing and shooting are at the dead center the of the visual, visual field. field. And he talks about when he goes to um, when he's staying in Connemara, yeah. that the life flowed. Yeah. And you really get this sense of kind of the trauma and post Sylvia Plath. Completely. That he refines his, his himself, his fishing, his poetry, his writing. Absolutely. Even. He started he started writing. um uh crow which a kind of traumatized but brilliant mythic masterpiece published in 1970 that he started writing that in connemara uh he also revised his broadcast that he'd made in 1961 and onwards called uh listening and writing for for school kids and a, a particular one of those is called learning to think and he talks about how he learned to think out of school while fishing and it's a wonderful wonderful essay but he said unless we re unless we manage to make a raid on the mental stuff the thinking that goes on us in on us uh, unconsciously like breathing all the time if we don't do that then our thoughts will lie in us like fish in the pond of a man who cannot fish and it's an amazing insight. So it makes an inability to fish like a disability somehow, like a cognitive impairment, which is such a brilliant thing. Anyway, yeah, Barry came, Barry and his second wife, Sonia Landwehr, came and met them in Connemara in 1966. They then uh, went back and, and Barry met Nick and, and Frida. And um, they essentially, they started getting on with each other famously at that point and ted felt more creative than he'd ever felt before somehow in ireland and associated that then then when asia took her own life and shura their daughters in 1969 ted just turned up at barry and sonia's house on the river nor the island unannounced and just in silence helped barry pack some paintings for an exhibition and then told them about this awfulness and they fished all day. That's all Barry said. But fishing was a way of healing, essentially, from after loss. And then Barry, from about 1971, uh, when he built his own tiny little pipe fishing boat out of fiberglass, which is known as his coracle, uh, he started trying to persuade Nick and Ted to come over um, and sent Nick homemade wooden pike plugs with teeth marks on them and nick was completely hooked by this uh and that actually finally led in 1977 to the first of what became two or three times a year trips to ireland to fish for pike salmon trout and that was coincided with ted's major work on river Talk to me a little bit about Barry Cook, because it seems like a fascinating guy. He was, as you've given us the background to him in terms of moving over to Ireland. He, he was living then in, in Kilkenny, um, yeah. beside the River Noor. He, yeah. really interesting, um, he was friends with Seamus Heaney. So did he introduce that, that Seamus Heaney? Okay. And did he introduce Heaney to, to Ted Hughes? Or? No, no. Uh, Ted had met Seamus uh, in, I think, 1967. And then they met in Ireland in 1968, which was the year that Seamus met Barry because Barry was commissioned by another mutual friend, John Montague, to do the cover artwork for a Cladder Records reading by John and Seamus called The Northern Muse, which is very watery. And Seamus, by that point, had written a Loch Ney sequence about eel fishing in Loch Ney and other mm. kind of fishy poems. Although Seamus was never a great fisherman. He said, 
you know, it took him back to his childhood and he said, you know, a dozen times, a dozen fishing trips, which happened mostly in Barry's company once in with Ted in Devon, was enough for a lifetime of poetry. And he wrote brilliantly about everything, but about fishing too. But but he knew Barry, he had first seen Barry's painting in 1965, I think, years before they met. But then in 1971, uh, November, Barry and, and, and Sonia invited Seamus and Mari Heaney for dinner at the island, this house beside and sometimes in the River Nore because it flooded and it was a famously cold, wet house. But they arrived and in the hallway was an enormous pike, which Barry proceeded to gut. And then they had had it for dinner. And basically that was Seamus and Barry coming as close as two heterosexual males happily married could come to falling in love with each other. And they had this amazing intense relationship thereafter for the rest of their lives. And, and, and by that point, I think Seamus was in awe of Ted and a great admirer of him. They became closer later. Um, so my next book is called Casting and Gathering, which is the title of a poem Seamus wrote for Ted for his 60th birthday, remembering as a boy's hearing two fishermen on opposite banks of the River Moyla. And I don't think that works, to be honest, with one kind of uh, like a corn crate stripping line out and the other, the hush and lush of a line casting to and fro. And I'm pretty sure this childhood memory is overlaid on Seamus and Ted and Barry, essentially being two fishermen together. Barry Cook was a big influence on Ted in terms of the fishing in Ireland, wasn't it? Like he would bring him to the rivers, show him where to fish. Um, Yeah. And you visited um, Barry's house in Kilkenny and he showed you a box of letters. Was it that had been undiscovered or unknown or was it? I first met Barry in County Sligo. He used to live above Loch Arrow in this amazing house over with overlooking the lake. And he basically moved there because of the fishing. Uh, And, and they, a completely fanatical trout fisherman. And he, he, amongst other things, sharpened his incisors so that they could cut line so he didn't need snips. And and would, during the mayfly season, uh, sometimes uh, go out equipped with a bottle of olive oil in case that there were not natural slicks on the water, you know, for the wind lanes. So he would, he would really amaze. But I met him there for the first time to talk about Ted and Nick Hughes and their love of fish and fishing and of each other. And at that point, I saw all of Ted's books on a shelf and below that, all of Seamus's inscribed books. And I said, what's this about? Why have we got them? And he said, oh, outside um, Seamus's family, I'm the closest man to him alive, which was completely news to me. And, 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 and he said, Ted and I had fish in common and Seamus and I had mud and art in common. Right. So anyway, so that's the next book. But as a result of that, then I went actually the following year. By that point, I'd met Ted's sister, Olwyn, who'd given me, amongst other things, a stuffed trout, which Barry had brought over to Devon at some point to swap for a carving of a salmon he'd seen in a pub. And it had the swap hadn't worked out. And I wanted to restore this to Barry. By this point, he developed dementia, moved to Kilkenny back to be near his daughters. And he had lost his short-term memory, and he'd also lost, Julia, his daughter, told me, the letters, letters from poets. And I turned up the next morning in this tiny warden-controlled flat uh, and just said, uh, and 
are you all right to meet Barry? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And and he kind of got dressed in front of me and then gave me a cup of tea. And I read a 200-line verse diary entry that Ted had written in February and March 1980 when Barry had rung him saying, there's a good, strong run of salmon on the Nore. You've got to come over now. So Ted had, I think, either chartered or come in a kind of very, very small pr- propeller engine uh, plane from, from Exeter over to Cork. And then he bought prawns and then got to, you know, got to the, and they, and no, they didn't hit contact to salmon. And then they went to Loch Dramore um, near Inchiquin. Uh, no, uh, yeah, on the Fergus system. Fergus system. Um, and there with a Toby, Barry took him to the right place and Ted hooked and landed this 14 pound salmon. And I just read this and Barry was listening completely wrapped to all of this. And this fishing diary ended, it's the most beautiful salmon I've ever seen, said Barry. And Barry immediately said, I did say that, Ma. And it was. And then he said, would you like to see the letters? And he turned behind him and there was this curtain, cob, cub, little cubby hole. And he pulled out this box, leek packing box, vegetable packing box. And there were all these amazing letters from poets, including Seamus. And there was a poem by Seamus in manuscript called The Island about that pike dinner. But lots of letters from Ted about fishing in Iceland and in and Alaska. And some of them were had some of the one of the letters had on its reverse a typescript of this amazing poem, Saints Island, which was Ted's hymn to the mad passions of Barry and his mayfly purists friends um so on on lockery and on lock arrow and lock key when ted went twice in 1982 and 1984 and never managed to catch a trout but caught the mayfly the magic of that and this obsession so did you did you make a point then of trying to fish all these places yeah yeah i did like did you did you fish lock Dramore? uh i have no i haven't fished lock Dramore yet actually because i was driving on the way from i passed it on the I drove that way having met Barry and then I was driving up to Cara um, to meet Roderick and Caroline Murphy who had fished with Barry and Ted and so I fished then with them Arrow and Key uh, and then I fished on my own by staying at a bed and breakfast uh, Loch uh, Ree and I and I found yeah and so I've done I've tried wherever possible on the it right, a, yeah, yeah, because I, I, the only reason I fished Loch Lomond was on account of Barker's book. Oh, yeah, and yeah, explain, yeah. yeah. And, is that an Angler's Paradise? An yeah. Angler's Lo- Paradise, yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. book, yeah, yeah, yeah. And come here, how did by the way, how did you do in Loch Ree? Oh, uh, it hopeless, <laughs> yeah. I there was only one other boat out, and I tried dapping because you know, and then I tried imitate, you know, dry, and and it got too cold. And, yeah. and and Ted talks about the ridgy lock. You know, it's a big, big expanse of water. And I'd hired this boat from the nearest bed and breakfast, which is still quite a trek away over the water. So I felt the ridgy lock and I got back way after dark. But, you know, I, and I was cold, but I'd, I'd had a go. I'm going to go back there. I hope this may, in fact. Yeah. The, the other thing that struck me actually just reading about uh, Ted, for somebody who was so fanatical as well as... He had plenty of um, fishless days, you know, he was like, and this was even oh, yeah. Ireland in the 1970s and 80s. He was struggling to catch fish, like, but he oh, was yeah. still as enthusiastic as ever to come over. Like, Comple- uh, he, he was enthusiastic. They took mad risks. Their first visit to Loch Ree was basically their first great holiday together 
was it to um, County Clare in October 1977, the half term holiday. And on their third day, Nick Hughes caught this 24 and a half pound pike from Castle Lake in County Clare. And then they came back the following March and went to Lockery basically and to Mayo. And they kind of knocked on Fred Buller's cottage door because Barry had told them where he lived for tips. And Fred felt you should respect the kind of the pike spawning season and not fish with them. And t- Barry wasn't having any of that. But it basically they went out on, on Lockery and almost drowned and they never wore life jackets. You know, it was kind of it was pretty rough and ready stuff. And the other um, thing that was of interest to me was um, was it in the the river publication um, yeah. the the influence of Celticism the Milesians he was talking oh, about yeah, Irish yeah, yeah. mythology he seemed Completely. to really kind of embrace that and brought that into his poetry like. oh absolutely so so Ted from a teen from his teenage years was absolutely absolutely he ba- his dad ran a news agents in Mythamroyd. This will take a minute, but it's worth it. And 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 they and he stopped this part publication of a children's encyclopedia. Okay, children's encyclopedia, and basically there were tales of the natural world on one page, and facing page the next section was tales of folklore and mythology. And Ted got very into Irish and Scots and Celtic mythology very early, and he read Yeats early and had an amazing memory, and he could remember all of Yeats. So basically, when in the 1970s, Ted and Nick started coming to Ireland seriously to fish, that coincided with Nick acquiring from Olwyn, his aunt, this letterpress. And they started their own printing press at home. And they called it the Morrigoo Press after the Morrigan, you know, our crow death goddess. And Barry, when he moved to Loch Arrow, his house was just below the ridge, which was the the site of the Second Battle of Moitura. And Ted got really fascinated by the fact that the Morrigu and the Dagda kind of had sex over the River Unshin, which is a river that he and Barry had fished and a river he said, I dearly love. And then over the over the lot, there was Karakil with these passage tombs, megalithic passage tombs. And when I first went and met Barry, he took me up there in my hire car, which is a bit, I was slightly worried about the hire car a bit. Anyway, and, and, and he said, I'm taking you there because Nick and Ted Hughes came there. And they did in 1992. And Ted crawled into this tomb and wrote to Seamus that he was completely happy. They spent an hour there in this kind of ancient darkness. And I know I've met other of Barry's friends who still live on the loch who have said exactly the same thing. There is something about this deep connection to the Tuha, you know, the kind of, uh, that they they feel absolutely connected to this. And Ted, it came very naturally to, but yeah. In the 80s then, uh, he moved to Devon then. He, Devon he became... moved to Devon. They, he and Sylvia moved to Devon in September okay. 1961. So um, did he always use that as his home base? Like? Yeah, they, he, after Sylvia's death, he he thought of moving back to West Yorkshire, where his parents were living. And he bought a house there called Lumbank, which is now the, the property of the Arvon Foundation, which Ted was president of and kind of supporting creative writing. But actually, there they had a bit of a time there. Basically, he never left Court Green. And he said, and it's it's on the River Tor, five minutes walk from the River Tor. And he kept telling people like Anne Stevenson, who wrote Sylvia's biography, it's a fatal mistake ever to live 
near to water if you're a fisherman because you'll never get any riding there. But he completely disproved that. He would, you know, five minutes and it fed him his imagination. So after that, I get the sense of that kind of initial burst of influence from Ireland, yeah. uh, you know, when he lived here and he was visiting yeah. and his friendship with Barry Cook formed. Yeah, yeah. Not that, did it taper off to a certain extent in, in the 80s, 90s, like that in the sense of, yes, he'd visit Ireland a couple of times a year, but that huge impetus for that creative kind of insight kind of just went on to another direction then? Um, well, in part, from 1981 and that poem, The Milesian Encounter on the Sligacan, which is on the on Sky, that was his first trip up to Scotland. Basically, he became he got to know very wealthy Devonians who would drive. There's a guy called Bill who I met. Lovely guy, a kind of publican with a coffee colored Rolls Royce. They would drive up in convoy up to uh, the Isle of Lewis, you know, the Outer Hebrides. And they would fish there a lot. And then he started fishing the 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 Tay and the Spey and Tweed, you know. And, and, and then in 1985, when he'd become Poet Laureate, then the invitation came from the Queen Mother to go and fish. Yeah. And 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 so he basically and but it was actually in 1982 when he by that point he had bought a boat, a kind of pretty hideous orange decked fiberglass job, which he managed to damage and Barry helped him mend for their pike fishing trips in Ireland. And and he left it in Ireland and Barry gave it to Barry, basically, who passed it on. And and Barry called this boat the Boat Laureate, which is a great, you know. Uh, and he didn't have as much time to come. But, but by that point, he and Seamus had started doing these anthologies together. And so he, they would often stay with Seamus in Dublin on the way to fish with Barry. Uh, and so, yeah, he he moved on. But in, in terms of river, and this has been really helpful for me, he carried on writing poems, felt he hadn't quite finished this collection. So in 1993, um, he went back to it and, and revised it and added poems from the early 60s on through into the late 80s. So it became a kind of fishing biography somehow. So the text, if you've got the little that one, that that includes poems from 1962 and and, and onwards. So it's yeah. And obviously, you're an angler yourself, Mark. I am. Uh, and you're Ted Hughes expert. Um, so it must have been writing this book. Like it was a couple of years. I got the sense in terms of the the different uh-huh. journeys. It was, you made. it was ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Mm. It must have been such. Most people talk about books being a labor of love. Like, but this, this was a labor must, of love. Yeah. yeah. Did you read? What was the high point for you in terms of um, the different journeys that you made? I think most of them are Irish. The one that isn't is when I managed to steal a trout on a May morning as uh, using a, a, a Devon minnow on the River Tor. And I think pretty much where Ted did it in May 1962, just before Asia and David Wevel came to stay. So it was just before he fell for her. And, but, and he anyway, so that was brilliant. But then actually getting to know Roderick and Caroline Murphy and going for three years with them during the Mayfly fortnight. And it, I could only, because it coincided with Cambridge term, I could only go most of the time for a, a weekend. But just getting to see the Mayflies dancing on Lytle's Island on Loch Arrow and then finally, finally tricking a trout, you know, and, and catching a kind of three pounder. That was wonderful. And then... And it's the, the last page of the book, actually, 
going back to Dune Regan in Connemara and being taken by Robert Jocelyn to fish um, the Ballina Hinch system and the upper Ballina Hinch River when every other fly had failed, all of Robert's kind of um, turning to a muddler, which I've got a box of Ted's muddlers in my room here. And I think, what would Ted have used? And I thought, a muddler, because he always used that in Scotland. And getting and catching a, a salmon there at dawn about an hour before I had to leave for the airport. That was brilliant. Special. Very, very, mm. very special. What's your favourite? Oh, God, this might be so hard for you, but have you any particular favourite poems of Ted Hughes relating to fishing river? Fishing in Ireland or, or fishing? Or just fishing, yeah, anything that... Well, I, I, so, so three, I would say, I think, or maybe four, sorry. There are lots, but uh, <laughs> Go Fishing, which is this amazing account of what happens to a fisherman and him when you're by an underwater somehow. And you 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 lose words. You you drift downstream. You become the water. You become the flies somehow. Then you crawl back out and let your limbs harden. That's amazing. Go fishing. Uh, um, October salmon, where on his way back from seeing his father dying in hospital, he looks into a pool on the river tour just by the town bridge and sees one cock salmon where when he and Sylvia had first arrived in September 19th there had been a hundred and identifying that leprous battle-scarred fish with his dad but also with himself that's an amazing poem Strangers which is a poem about watching sea trout at dawn on the river Torridge in a pool where I've fished that's pretty stunning and then the great Irish pike um, which is without revealing the location, but he did a lot later, so I will now. It's about fishing Loch Gur uh, in County Limerick with Barry and Nick. And he wrote that out with Barry in his handwriting, and Barry produced these five wonderful images of Pike to go with it in 1982. And then they went back that December, and it was an encounter there with two young lads who looked like kind of painters and decorators that led led them to stopping fishing. He said, our pike lust is sated because he was pretty sure that they had found an IRA arms cache below a pike float in a, in a, and then these young lads came and said, any luck, you know, and then they, these two young lads appeared at the edge of, at the end of the, the track, by Van O'Neill's bed and breakfast in the middle of the night and the dog barked and the snow fell and they said we're off and we're not telling anyone where we fished because we didn't want to you know compromise our fishing or get the guardie involved so they might have been just targeting the pike because they didn't want them in the lake anymore <laughs> well that's true they, yeah that is true they could have been but but that that thing you know and the, yeah but I yeah so that yeah anyway so there are any number of poems sorry but Um, there's a couple actually just um, and I just wanted to give maybe people a sense of kind of the writing because it's accessible you know his poems for me like you know it's uh, you can read some poems and it's kind of you go what the hell you know and it's but and I think especially if you're in anger you know you're listening to this to me it's so evocative you know it brings you there and you know it's relatable and and that's why i would highly recommend it for for people to pick up i think probably is um river the probably the best collection to pick up Oh god, definitely definitely yeah i mean there's a wonderful book called season songs about farming but there are some great salmon poems in there december river 
about going and finding a dead salmon on a red and lifting the corpse and the body from the from the river only for another salmon immediately to slot into place. That's pretty special. But river is it, honestly. But also read the catch as well by Mark. Oh, well, yes, cool. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to find out more. Um, Mark, what's have you done much fishing this year yourself? I fished actually the River Dovey um, in Wales and I caught a kind of nice two and a half pound sea trout by day and then had a contact with a, a silver explosion at, at one o'clock in the morning, which is fantastic. And then I went, I went to Ireland. I caught a couple of small sea trout in on the Ballina Hinch River, even though it was about, you know, 40 degrees centigrade mad, you know, with that baking drought. But I also fished, um, and I'm not going to say where it is yet, Barry's Tench Lake, because Seamus wrote a poem um, at having fished there with Barry one August. So I needed to go there and do that. And I and I hooked and lost a very big fish at dawn, but I caught the lake, I think. I tell you what, it's a great gig that those books you're writing there where you have you to know, go off research it's purposes, the, you know, sacrifices <laughs> I am prepared to make for my academic scholarship, you know, it's absolute martyrdom. <laughs> you, you, you feel my pain, obviously. Yeah. Oh, that's a, it that's comes across. Yeah, really yeah, comes no, across, that's yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Mark, finally, uh, we always ask this of everybody. Yeah. What was your most memorable fish caught in the fly? I think having thought a lot about this, it could have been that salmon on the bell and a hinch. Actually, it was the three pound lock arrow trout that I caught in quite a gale, but having seen it rise and managed to intercept it, you know, and that follows Roderick Murphy, who's a great man, bellowing at me for being an incompetent academic idiot, but not being able to cast in the right direction. And I got it right. And this three pounder fought wonderfully. Yeah and the strength of the fish and then the beauty of it, that's probably the one that I will, because it, it, it expresses the wonder of the mayfly, the great delight of my friendship with the Murphys and just the beauty of the place as well as the, the, the fish. Into one. Yeah. And for me, that's what, and that's why I recommend reading your book uh, and also reading Ted Hughes's poems is that we, I think, and Tom as well, we find it so hard maybe to put into words what fishing means to us, what it means being on the river, you know, and that's why we love, you know reading books about it but you know the the words that ted hughes is able to put together in terms of the poems i think there's nothing better for that so it's completely it's just a, a, a great and maybe if you introduce people that they don't get fishing or why we go fishing maybe show them a few of ted's poems and they might get that sense of what it is that you know makes you uh, want to do it so much yeah there is this direct connection with something deep and it also teaches you how to deal with loss, it seems to me. And, and frankly, if you drive a long way to fish, particularly if you're a bloke, an English bloke who is kind of emotionally reticent. And I've had this with my sons. But I think Nick, Ted and, Ted and Nick Hughes had it. Driving a long way side by side in the driver's and passenger seat without having to make eye contact. You talk about things that within that space that you probably don't in other ways too. There's so much to it, but it, yeah, that's meant a lot to me too, you know, as a father and as a son myself, which I kind of touch on in the book. Mark, thanks a million for joining us. Um, the book is called The Catch, Fishing for Ted Hughes. Um, you, you really get an insight into the, um, you know, the influence of Ireland on Ted Hughes's life, his fishing, his family life as well. So it's well worth the read. And Mark Wormel, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Sarah and Tom. Great to meet you. Our thanks to Mark Warmo for joining us on the show. 
And we also wanted to wish all of our listeners a very happy Christmas and New Year. Thanks for listening, for following the show, and giving us all of your feedback as to what you liked and what you didn't. Stay tuned in for 2023. We'll have more episodes, more guests, and more content coming your way. And don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com, as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.